Well, turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 2, we're continuing, of course, our study in the nation of Israel, and we're seeing it through the eyes of David, who is the second king of Israel. We realize it's a sad time. It's a time of death and defeat and division. Under Saul, the nation fell to the Philistines, and Saul and Jonathan, his son, were killed, and the army was scattered. David was out living with the Philistines at this time. Now he's come back. And he's been anointed as the king of Israel, but over only over the tribe of Judah, which is his tribe. He was not accepted as the king over the entire nation. So the problems have come. And as we look at this, we see the land is in division. David is over Judah. Ishbosheth, who is Saul's son, is now king over Benjamin. He was made king by a man by the name of Abner, who was Saul's general. And so now he's made Ishbosheth. Uh, the, the king. And so now you've got a division, and we see the beginning of a civil war. Last time we saw the very first battle, and uh, <clears throat> it's very sad. There were a lot of people killed, and we'll see what happens. This morning, as we look at this, we're going to see the results of division and war. We're going to see sadness and death, and we're going to see David's weakness. So it's not very happy, but it, there's some really, there's some great things that we can apply. And so as we look at it this morning, may we be able to do that. Most of you know who C.S. Lewis is. He wrote uh, a number of books. He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote a book called Mere Christianity. He also wrote a book which is called Screwtate Letters. And Screwtate Letters was a story of basically spiritual warfare. The story is of two demons, an older demon and a younger demon. That's how he phrased it. And the older demon is teaching the younger demon how to mess up human beings. And so the, 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 as you read the book, the goal, first of all, is that he would stop any person from believing in Jesus. And then once a person believes in Jesus, the, then the rest of the book, of course, is how to, how to stop them. Uh, the truth is this, and the book is actually very accurate in one sense, and that is that Satan's goal is to stop people from ever trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior. He would love for people to be religious. In fact, there's a lot of people who say, well, look, you know, as long as people go to church and all that, listen, when people go to church just because they go to church, that doesn't mean anything. Satan's glad. He says if people go to church, they're not looking for the answers. He does not want people to understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. He would love for people to be religious, and our world is full of religious people. Who, who go to church, who do all kind of different things, but have never believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. The second thing that he tries to do is that is that as a person, when a person believes in Christ, they're saved and saved forever. So he can't stop that. But what he'd like to do is stop us from growing. Stop us from growing as believers. And he does whatever he can to get our minds off the great truths of the Scripture and the Word of God. And, and, and he affects us in a lot of areas. And he affects us. And, and so I'm going to raise a question because we're going we're gonna to talk about strengths and weaknesses because we're going to look at the life of David for a little bit. But do you know your strengths and do you know your weaknesses? And here's why we talk about it. Be careful because the enemy, Satan, will exploit both. With our strengths, he wants us to trust in our abilities rather than trusting in God. And then as far as our weaknesses go, he attacks us in these areas, hoping that we will fall. And so this morning, we're going to see David's weakness. Now, when you think about it, I think David is one of the great men in the Bible. There's no doubt. I mean, when you say Abraham and Moses and David and, and, and uh, I'll just start going down the list, David is one of the great men in the Bible, and he's going to have a great position when you read in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 37, 38, and on, some other places. He's, David's going to have a great position position 
in the millennial kingdom. So David is an amazing man, but we're going to see that he has a weakness, and we're going to see what it is today, and we're going to see how that led to his failure and that led to conflict in his family, and we'll see that as we go through it. Let me give you the outline. This is the part of the outline of chapter 2. We got through about the first 16 or 17 verses last week, but I just wanted to show this to you. We, where uh, This is the, where they had this battle, and so we're going to take up right here this morning and start here at the very first battle, and we're going to see the death of a guy named Ashiel. We're going to see the end of the battle, and we're going to see the results of the battle. That's in the chapter. We'll also get into chapter 3. We'll just touch on that as well. There's not really long passages at all. Well, we've seen the death of Saul. And when Saul died, Saul had a general by the name of Abner. Abner had power under Saul. He knows that if David becomes king... David has Joab on his team, which is his general. He knows that if David becomes the king, he won't have any power. So he appoints a man by the name of Ishbosheth, who is Saul's son, who wasn't killed in the battle, and he makes him king, and he becomes the general, and suddenly there's this division. David on one side with Abner, his general, and his 600 men, and the tribe of Judah. And then Ishbosheth on the other side with Abner and the other people, and so the nation is divided. And, and we're going to have civil war over it. And, and as we look at this, you see the north has Benjamin, basically the tribe of Benjamin with Abner and Ishbosheth. South has Judah with Joab and David. And so last time there was a battle, and it was a very sad time. Abner came down with a bunch of men. And Joab came with a bunch of men, and they got around the pool of Gibeon, and they sat there. And Abner said, why don't I pick out 12 men, you pick out 12 men, and let them fight. And so they did, but what was so sad is the 12 guys on each side grabbed each other, stabbed each other, and they killed all of them at the same time. And suddenly the battle started. And that's where we ended last week. The battle started. And we got a summary of the battle in verse 17. Look what it says. That day the battle was very severe. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And so we got a summary. We're going to get more information. But the summary was the battle started and David's men defeated the, the northern part with Ishbosheth and Abner. Now let me just say something. It makes sense. Because David had 600 mighty men that were with him in the wilderness, in the desert part. They were with him for maybe three to four to five years. They are great warriors. So when these two clashed, David's people naturally won. We're going to see at the end that David only loses like 20 total people, and Abner loses 360 people. So we'll see it as we, we go through. So let's look at it. It says, uh, verse 17, that day the battle was very severe and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now we get some information. Now the three sons of Zerurah were Joab and Abishai and Ashiel, and Ashiel was swift-footed as one of the gazelles in the field. Now who are these people? Well, Zerurah is David's sister. So what we have is we have these, are, these three men are David's nephews. Now, they may be older than David. I mean, just because David is, because David's about 30 years old. So they're at least his age or older. And they're his nephews. They're his sister's children. And one is named Joab. And let me tell you, we're going to see as we go through the book of 2 Samuel, you will see Joab. And you'll say, Joab is great. Joab is bad. 
He is a tough man. He's hard for David to even deal with him. Then there's a man named Abishai who is younger probably than David, and he is the one that went to David when they snuck into the camp of Saul when Saul was asleep, and they came in and they took his spear and his water jug. That's Abishai. And then we're going to meet Ashiel. Ashiel is maybe the youngest of the three brothers, and he is swift-footed. And it says here that he was fast as a gazelle. Josephus, a Jewish historian, writes, and he says that at one time, Ashiel outran a horse. We don't know. I mean, we don't know if that's accurate or not, whether Josephus was telling the truth. But anyway, this man named Ashiel is really fast, okay? We need him on our team. But so he's, he's really something. So we're going to meet these three guys, and here's what it says. <clears throat> now, the three sons of Zerur were Joab and Abishai and Ashiel. Ashiel was swift-footed as one of the gazelles in the field. So here's the battle. Now watch what happens. Ashiel pursued Abner and did not turn to the right or to the left from following Abner. So Ashiel goes after Abner. Do you remember who Abner is? He's the general from the north. And he looks back and he sees Ashiel running after him. Now remember, Ashiel's fast. So Abner, everybody knows he's fast. Abner's not going to be able to get away from him. Now Abner knows the, listen, they all know each other. This is not like they didn't look over there and say, who is that guy? He knew exactly who it was. So Ashiel decides he's going to go try to kill Abner. He thinks if I kill Abner, I'll be like a hero. And so he's going after him. So Ashiel, verse 19, Ashiel pursued Abner and did not turn to the right or to the left from following Abner. Abner looked behind him and said, is that you, Ashiel? And he said, it's I. He looks back and he says, isn't that, Ashiel, is that you? And he says, yeah, it's me. They know each other. They know each other's families. So look what he says. Abner said to him, turn to your right or to your left and take hold of one of the young men for yourself and take for yourself the spoil. But Ashiel was not willing to turn aside from following him. Abner says, hey, leave me alone. I don't want to kill you. You go get somebody else. Go, go after somebody else and kill them. But don't try to kill me because I'll kill you and I don't want to kill you. This is what's about to happen. So notice he goes on to say, so Ashiel was not willing to turn aside. Abner repeated, this is verse 22, Abner repeated again to Ashiel, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? You understand, they all knew each other. He knew Joab. Abner and Joab knew each other. He says, leave me alone because if I kill you, how could I face your brother if I kill you? But he wouldn't leave him alone. And Ashiel kept running. And of course, you know, Ashiel's so fast, he catches him. And so it says in verse 23, however, he refused to turn aside. He kept running after him. Therefore, Abner struck him in the belly with the butt end of the spear so that the spear came out at his back and he fell there and died on the spot. And it came about that all who came to that place where Ashiel had fallen and died stood still. You can see Abner saying, just leave me alone. Don't come after me. And so instead of taking the spear end, he turned around the blunt end. And maybe, maybe he was just going to poke him really bad in the stomach or maybe knock him out or something. But it went all the way through and killed him. Went all the way through him. And he had to leave. And then it says the rest of the people, when they came and they saw Ashiel laying there, they went, oh my gosh, look, that spear's all the way through him. It was sad. And Ashiel is Joab's brother. And Joab's the general. So this is really terrible. And so it struck him in the belly, the blunt end, and came out the back. 
So watch what happens. Verse 24. But Joab and Abishai, that's the two brothers. Joab is the general. Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And when the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Emma, which is in the front of Gia, by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. So they chase them. Joab and Abishai said, we're going after the guy that killed our brother. And they're chasing down Abner. Abner's looking back, and he sees them coming. He knows, and he gets to the top of a hill. And the battle's been going on all day long. And let me just tell you, before we get to the end, Abner's men are losing badly. They're getting killed right and left. David's men with Joab are winning, and they're just wiping them out, and they're coming after them. Abner knows that they're in trouble. So verse 24 again, but Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. Verse 25, the sons of Benjamin, that's Abner's group, gathered together behind Abner and became one band. They all got together, and they stood at the top of a certain hill. And look what happened. Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know how it will be bitter in the end? How long will you refrain from telling the people to turn back from following their brothers? Abner gets to the top of the hill and says, How long are we going to keep fighting? How long are we going to keep fighting? Well, he's losing badly. That's probably what you want to say if you're losing badly. Can we stop? That's what he wants, to stop. Joab and his men are coming, and they know that they've got them at the top of a hill. That's going to be hard to fight. You know, when the people at the top of the hill, they have an advantage. Abner stops it all and says, how long are we going to keep doing this? Can we not stop? When are you going to tell your people to turn back? You know, the truth is this. In a civil war, nobody wins. Nobody wins. And let me just say this, and I'm going to stop for a second and just talk about the body of Christ and talk about churches and that and things. Whenever there's fighting among believers, there's never a winner. I want you to think about that. Whenever there's fighting among believers, whenever there's conflict in a body of Christ, whether it's a local body, whatever it is, there's never a a winner because the testimony is always damaged. People are damaged. People are hurt. Testimony is destroyed. The key in the body of Christ is what? Let me just say this about our church. I see fantastic unity and love in this body. And most of you see the same thing, and you know that. So we don't have, we don't have division like we're talking about. But in a lot of churches, there's problems. And the key is unity. Unity is the key to both testimony and growth. I want you to see something. Look at this. This is Jesus praying right before he goes to the cross. It's in John 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. He says that they may all be one, talking about believers, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that's the body of the believers, so that the world may believe you sent me. He said, when they see this unity, the world will see that Jesus Christ is the one. Look what it says in John 17. I, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so the world may know that you sent me and you love them just as you love me. This is the key. See, the basis, the key is everything is unity. It should be say unity based on love. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. Look at this right here. This is Jesus giving this statement. I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. Now, you think about the old commandment. The old commandment was the Lord, your, love your Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, I'm giving you a new commandment. It has to do with love, but it's a little bit different. I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved 
you. That's different than loving others as you love, you love your neighbor as yourself. This is loving others as Jesus has loved us. He said that you would love one another by this, by this love for each other. People will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love and unity, that is the key. When the body of Christ, when local churches and the body of Christ, when we get along, when there's unity, when there's love, when we love one another, the world sees that we're different. Now, when we don't, when there's conflict, when there's problems, when there's division, I mean, look what happens. Division destroys our testimony, but unity enlarges our testimony. We all hear people talk about church splits and this kind of thing happening here and people being mad over here, this kind of thing happening, instead of getting along and showing the unity uh, that we should have. So let's make sure we maintain this unity like we are now. Let's make sure that we continue to love one another as Christ has loved us. With that in mind, we see now this conflict. And there's division in Israel. And there's Abner on top of a hill with a group of men. And he's shouting out at Joab down at the bottom of the hill, how long are we going to keep this going? Well, the truth is it's going to go for another two years. It's going to be two years before Ishbosheth is no longer a king, and it's going to be five more years after that, which will be seven years before David becomes the king over all of Israel. <clears throat> we talked about this before. We said, didn't God say that David's supposed to be the next king? Yes. Didn't God already uh, uh, you know, anoint David as the next king? Yes. Saul is now dead. Doesn't it make sense that David would just become the king? Yes. But it's not that smooth. There's division, there's the problems, there's Abner, there's Joab, there's the civil war. It's going to be seven years before David becomes the king over all Israel. So Abner calls out to Joab and said, how long is this going to happen? When can we stop? So verse 27, Joab said, as God lives, if you had not spoken, surely then the people would have gone away in the morning each following from following his brother. He said, if you hadn't tried to stop us, we would keep fighting all the way through the night, but we're going to stop. And so Joab blew the trumpet, and all the people halted and pursued Israel no longer, nor did they continue to fight anymore. The battle is over. Now, I want to remind you of something. Joab will not forget what happened Abner killed his brother. That's a war. And the Bible talks about wars and people killing each other and those kind of things, and that happens in wars. In Israel, at the time, under the Mosaic Law, if you accidentally kill somebody, if you, and the example from the Bible is you're chopping something and the ax head comes off and hits somebody else and kills them, under the Mosaic Law, the family could come after you to kill you because you killed their relative, even if it was an accident. But Israel had set up six cities called cities of refuge, one in, one in the north on both sides, one in the middle on both sides of the river, and one on the south. So there were six places you could flee to if you accidentally killed somebody. And if you did, you could go to that city and you were protected from the family. In this battle, Abner killed Bashel. That is not like city of refuge. Abner killed him in a battle. Joab doesn't have the right to kill Abner.
but he's going to try to kill him. Joab will not forget what has happened. And let me just say this. Vengeance belongs to who? The Lord, not to us. What we have to do is forgive when people hurt us. When things go wrong, we have to forgive one another. Forgiveness is releasing the debt. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has also forgiven you. God forgives us in the same way, and so we need to forgive others. It's really hard sometimes when people do us wrong, when people hurt us, but we have to remember that vengeance belongs to the Lord. When we forgive, it helps us have peace, it helps us grow, and it helps us to be like God. Christ. Well, let's get the results of the battle. <clears throat> Look what happens. It says, so Joab, this is 28, so Joab blew the trumpet and all the people halted and pursued Israel no longer. No, they continued to fight anymore. Abner and his men then went through the Arabah, that's the south, all night. They crossed the Jordan, walked all morning, and came to Mahanim. So Abner goes back to where they were supposed to go. Then Joab, now what did Joab do? It said that Joab returned from following Abner. He quit going after him. When he had gathered all the people together, 19 of David's servants besides Ashiel were missing. That means 19 were killed plus Ashiel means 20. But the servants of David had struck down many of Benjamin and Abner's men so that 360 men died. So in the battle, David's men, they lost 19 plus Ashiel makes made 20. Abner, they lost 360. Now, I said a while ago, why, why such a big difference? Because David's men are the mighty men. They're the fighters. They know what to do. Now, I want you to un- think about this. They lost, each one lost 12 right at the very start of the battle. That means that Joab's men only lost eight men in that battle after the battle started. Abner lost 360. Watch what happens. They took up Ashiel, verse 32, and buried him in their father's tomb, which is in Bethlehem. So they went all the way to Bethlehem. Then Joab and his men went all night until the day dawned at Hebron. Now, Hebron is where David is. David is the king in Hebron. Hebron is in in the tribe of Judah, and that's where David is. And so the first big battle is over. And let me just say this. Nobody wins. Even though David's people only lost 20 and the other lost 360, and you could say, well, David's men won. Yeah, they did. They won that battle. But Jew fighting Jew? Jewish people killing Jewish people? Who is the enemy of the Jews? It's the Philistines. It's the Amalekites. It's not the Jews. They're fighting each other. It never, there's never victory whenever you fight one another. Well, the flow of the war turns with David, and David got stronger and stronger, and the other army that got weaker and weaker. Let me give you an outline of what we're going to look at. We're going to just, come, just take us just a few minutes to go through this. Second Samuel 3, 1 through 5, we're going to look at the first five verses, but we're going to see the civil war. We're going to see David's family. I want you to see how this ties together. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew steadily stronger but the house of Saul grew steadily weaker. It lasted. The first two years were, was, was with Ishbosheth, but it was finally seven years total. Seven years from the time David was anointed as king over Judah before he was anointed over the entire nation. Now, let me read these next verses for you. Look at this. 
Sons were born to David at Hebron. Now, while he was living there in that seven years, here's the children that were born to him. Notice. The firstborn was Amnon by Hinnom, the Jezreelite. We go, okay, who is she? Well, we remember that we don't know how he got her, but Jezreel is in the northern part of Israel. He married this woman. We saw that he, she had been listed one other place. His second son, Chiliab, was by a woman by the name of Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Now, we know who Abigail is. We remember when David was going to go kill Nabal, Abigail came and stopped him. And after Nabal died, David married Abigail. And we'd say, boy, she's a, she was beautiful and she was really smart. That was a good move. Well, it wasn't because David already has one wife named Michael. He has a second wife named Ahinam, and now he's got a third wife, and that's Abigail. But we're not through because they had a third son named Absalom, and he was the son of Micah. Well, who, who is that? I, I don't know. She's the daughter of Talmai, the king of Geshur. So where did he meet her? Maybe he went to Geshur and met Talmai, and Talmai said, you'd like to see my daughter? And suddenly he's married to somebody else. And then he has a fourth son named Adonijah, the son of Haggith. Who was who that? We don't know. And the fifth son, Shephathiah, the son of Abital. Who was Abital? We don't know. And the sixth son, Ithbarim, by David's wife, Eglah. Now, these were born to David at Hebron. Well, who are these people? Look at the sons. Look at the wives. And that's not counting Michael. So he's got seven wives at this stage and at least six sons. So you could say, well, is this right? Well, no, it's not right. I mean, from the very beginning, God said, let there be male and female, and the two become one flesh. And so David, we say, David, why do you have seven wives? And David could say, because, you know, that's what kings do. Well, just because the culture does it doesn't mean we do it, right? And we're going to see that this appears, and let me put it this way, we're going to see Amnon and Absalom and Adonijah again. So six, six sons, six wives, not counting Michael. Why so many wives? We're going to see that this is going to lead to David's failure. He loves women. Now, there's nothing wrong with women and loving women, but you just love one. But he's got seven wives right now. And we're going to see before it's over, he has more than that. And we're going to see that that leads to some issues in his family that's going to cost him dearly. And we see that some of these wives maybe were alliances. And that's what we saw in Solomon. See, David's son Solomon has a thousand wives, 700 wives, 300 concubines. And those were alliances. A lot of them were alliances. But you know what? When you make an alliance like that, you're trusting an alliance rather than trusting God. And so David, we can see, seems to have a weakness in that area. And as we continue to study and we get a little further up in the book, we're going to see a woman by the name of Bathsheba. And we see what happens there. The Bible said in the Old Testament that when a king becomes king, he is not to multiply three things, gold, horses, or wives. David didn't multiply gold. He didn't care much about gold. He didn't multiply horses but he multiplied wives. When Solomon became king, he multiplied gold, horses, and wives. And all of them led to downfalls for these great leaders. Do you know your weaknesses? And we know, we say, we we, want to know our strengths. We want to know, you know, what we're good at so we can be used by God. We want to know what our spiritual gifts are so we can be used by God. Do we know our weaknesses? 
where we fail. Where if you put us in the wrong, remember we always say if you get in the, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you're probably going to do the wrong thing. So be careful. What are our weaknesses? It's powerful to know we need to guard ourselves and guard our hearts. It says whatever goes in is coming out. Flee those areas. Second Timothy two twenty two. Flee youthful lust. He's saying get away from anything that's going to pull you down. And I, we could ask a question: What are your strengths? You could say, Well, here's what I'm really good at. Then we could say, what are your weaknesses? And we could say, well, this is where I mess up. Well, then what do we got to do with that? Stay away from it. That's the plan. That's what we're going to see. We could say to David, David, you're already in trouble. You're already in trouble. Be careful. The war begins. There's death. Ashel is killed. Joab will not forget. David gets stronger and stronger, and Abner gets weaker and weaker. David now has seven wives and six sons. That takes place while he's at Hebron. Let me give you some applications. Let's realize the cost of fighting among ourselves. There will be division because we lose the unity of the body. There will be hurt. Many relationships are damaged, and there'll be a loss of testimony. And unbelievers, not only believers, but so many times unbelievers won't even listen to us. So what do we do? We deal with conflicts. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, let love cover a multitude of sins. Listen, if people hurt each other, the best thing to do, if possible, according to 1 Peter 4, is let love cover over. The Bible tells us that if you can't let that, then if somebody hurts you, then go to that person one-on-one and tell them and solve it that way. The Bible also says if you realize you've hurt somebody, you go to them and say, I'm so sorry, because that's how we deal with the conflicts. And we always must forgive one another. It's easier said than done. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Forgive one another. Second thing, may we know our strengths and our weaknesses. It's important to know. Don't trust in our strengths. Rest in the power of God. In our weaknesses, flee. Get away. Keep away from those areas as much as you can. Keep away and walk in the Spirit because that's how we can have victory. We need to guard ourselves and develop habits, habits and patterns which will not, which will eventually, if we, if we develop some of the wrong things, it'll eventually bring failure. It's easy to let little things take hold. So may we know our strengths and our weaknesses as we love one another, keeping the unity of the body.